Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Elon Musk podcast. This is a show where we discuss the critical crossroads that shape SpaceX, Tesla, X, The Boring Company, and Neuralink. And I'm your host, Will Walden. If you want uninterrupted episodes of the Elon Musk podcast, please go to clubelon.supercast.com to find out how. There's a link in the show notes. So Tesla is intensifying its efforts in artificial intelligence by planning a new $500 million dojo supercomputer at its gigafactory in Buffalo, New York. Now, Tesla's broader ambitions here in the AI space show that it's moving beyond its core electric vehicle business. And the dojo supercomputer is key for AI model training, showcasing the crucial role of computing power in AI advancements. Now, the project to build a second Dojo computer is not only a significant step for Tesla, but also benefits its suppliers, notably NVIDIA and Taiwan Superconductor Manufacturing Company, or TSMC. Now, NVIDIA, which provided the GPUs for Tesla's initial Dojo computer, is poised to benefit from the sales of thousands more GPUs for the new installation, representing a considerable portion of the project's total cost. And NVIDIA's involvement in the Dojo project is expected to have a notable impact on its financials. If the $500 million investment in GPUs were to occur in a single quarter, it would constitute about 3% of NVIDIA's revenue based on their third quarter fiscal 2024 earnings. Now, this relationship underscores the symbiotic dynamic between Tesla's AI initiatives and NVIDIA's growth in the GPU market. Let's move on to TSMC which the world's foremost computer chip manufacturer, also stands to gain from Tesla's expansion into AI computing. TSMC provides chips for both NVIDIA's GPUs and also Tesla's vehicles, benefiting from the heightened demand for AI capabilities. The company anticipates its AI chip revenue to surge, with projections of a 50% compound annual growth rate. Tesla's plans for further Dojo supercomputers, including Dojo 1.5, Dojo 2, and possibly Dojo 3 or Dojo 4, 
show that they're continuously working for high-performance computing and AI. Ongoing demand is crucial for both NVIDIA and TSMC, ensuring a steady flow of business from Tesla and potentially other tech firms investing in AI. Now, the importance of suppliers like NVIDIA and TSMC in the AI and computing ecosystem is increasingly evident. Their contributions to building critical components for supercomputers like Tesla's Dojo show that there's an interconnected nature of the tech industry and the importance of strong supply networks for technological progress. Now, recent comments from Elon Musk, Tesla's CEO, regarding the Dojo supercomputer have led to speculation about the project's progress and Musk's confidence in its success. And despite previously high expectations, Musk's current statements suggest possible challenges or even reassessments within the project itself. Now, Musk's somewhat confusing remarks on the Dojo project during an investor meeting have raised questions about Tesla's achievements in developing this supercomputer. These comments contrast with Musk's early enthusiastic narratives, hinting at potential obstacles or shifts in the project's trajectory. Now, Musk's approach to discussing Tesla's projects, including Dojo, show that he has a history of bold visions, excitement, sometimes in advance of concrete results. This strategy has kept Tesla in the spotlight, of course, even as some initiatives face prolonged development and also unforeseen challenges, like the $25,000 low-budget Tesla vehicle. Now, the discussion around Tesla's dojo and Musk's recent statements show that there's been past instances where Musk used hype to garner interest, even when projects were in very early stages, like pre-pre-pre-alpha. And this tactic has been effective in maintaining interest in Tesla's innovations and blowing up the stock, despite the complexities of bringing ambitious projects to fruition. Also, Tesla's stock performance has been influenced by various factors, including Musk's public actions and ambitious projects like Dojo. And despite these setbacks, there's still investor optimism about Tesla's potential impact on AI and autonomous driving, as seen in market reactions to Dojo-related news. Now, the evolving nature around Tesla's Dojo project, from groundbreaking supercomputer to current uncertainties, exemplifies the challenges and complexities of technological innovation, and also building an AI model with thousands of GPUs. Now, Tesla invests millions of dollars in AI and supercomputing, and it not only impacts its business, but also shows that there's going to be a relevant AI increase across all industries. High-performance computing is essential for advanced AI applications, and it shows that technology is shifting towards artificial intelligence for everything. Now, for NVIDIA and TSMC, Tesla's Dojo project is indicative of larger industry trends where demand for AI and machine learning drives the need for specialized hardware and chip manufacturing capabilities. As Tesla pushes forward with its AI and supercomputing efforts, the collaboration with key partners like NVIDIA and TSMC will be critical. Now, their expertise in GPUs and chip manufacturing, respectively, plays a vital role in realizing complex projects like the Dojo supercomputer in Buffalo, New York. In Tesla's expansion into AI, more so than what they've already done with their vehicles, uh, in the development of Dojo supercomputers show that Tesla and Elon can work well with other companies, other suppliers to get the job done. And it's an unpredictable nature of cutting edge technology that keeps Dojo in check. There is complexities and uncertainties that accompany the forefront of the tech innovation 
and the tech industry. SpaceX is advancing towards the third flight readiness of its Starship, having positioned both the Booster 10 and Ship 28 at the launch pad, signaling preparations for an upcoming wet dress rehearsal, or a WDR. This step is crucial for the company as it aims for a Starship to reach orbital capabilities. Now, the process began with Booster 10 being transported to the launch site on February 8th and mounted later that evening. Subsequently, Ship 28 was moved toward the launch pad during the night of February 10th and placed atop Booster 10 in the early hours of February 11th. Now, despite the delay, SpaceX succeeded in assembling the full stack within a time frame of less than 56 hours, demonstrating that they're very efficient and it's required for the planned increase in Starship launches in the future. Now, modifications were noted on Booster 10 while it was housed in the Mega Bay, particularly at the base of the liquid oxygen tank, or the LOX tank, where new weld lines were observed, likely for the addition of slosh baffles designed to stabilize the liquid propellant. Now, these changes might be in response to the issues encountered with Booster 9, although SpaceX has not officially commented on the cause of that incident. Now, the upcoming schedule includes three road closures from February 12th to February 14th, each from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. CST, during which SpaceX plans to conduct both a partial and a full wet dress rehearsal with Booster 10 and also Ship 28. Now, the WDR, a standard procedure in spaceflight, involves loading the rocket with propellants and executing a complete launch countdown without actually igniting the engines, followed by a complete detanking of the full vehicle. Now, for previous flights, SpaceX has successfully completed wet dress rehearsals, incorporating various upgrades to the tank farm that could potentially reduce propellant loading time significantly. And post-wet dress rehearsal, the future actions for this particular stack remain uncertain. With some necessary installations and adjustments pending, including the possible reinstallation of stiffener rings for static fire tests of the Raptor vacuum engines. An unexpected destacking of Ship 28 occurred on February 12th, though, due to concerns with the ship clamps, necessitating repairs before restacking the ship for the wet dress rehearsal tests. And enhancements have been made to the orbital launch pad, or the OLP, in anticipation for Flight 3, including the removal of scaffolding and alignment rigs and the addition of protective shielding to prevent concrete erosion. Now, the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, has yet to close the mishap investigation from OFT-2, the last flight of Starship, which is a prerequisite for the license modification for Starship's next flight. And looking forward to Flight 3, though, SpaceX is preparing the next booster, Booster 11 and Ship 29 for Flight 4, with indications that Booster 11 may already have its engines installed, poised for a static fire test, hopefully soon. Now, Ship 28 is also in the process of receiving its engines, with recent activities observed at Mega Bay 2, suggesting that the vehicle is nearing readiness for flight. Now, for Flight 5, preparations are underway with Booster 12 and Ship 30, with the former being equipped with engines and the latter being prepped for eventual assembly and testing. Now, Flight 6 updates include the completion of Booster 13 stacking and the ongoing heat shield work on Ship 31, highlighting the continuous progress in SpaceX's Starship program. The progress towards Flight 3's launch readiness marked by the full stack at the pad and the planned wet dress rehearsal show that SpaceX is ready for flight soon, hopefully within three weeks, as Elon Musk has just said. And with the FAA's pending approval, 
and the completion of necessary testing and modifications, SpaceX is steadily progressing towards the imminent launch of Flight 3. SpaceX is poised for a March launch of its Starship rocket, as revealed by company CEO Elon Musk. And this development comes after a period of intense preparation at SpaceX's Texas facility, where the latest rocket booster and ship was recently transported to the launch pad, marking a significant milestone for the upcoming third test flight, known as Starship Integrated Test Flight, or IFT-3. Now, recent footage from local media and SpaceX's social media channels showcased the Starship Super Heavy rocket booster and its second stage positioned on the launch pad undergoing preliminary launch procedures. Following the assembly of the second stage atop the booster, the booster and the rocket were subsequently dismantled to facilitate work on the booster's upper segment near the stage separation ring, which is an innovative feature introduced following a prior launch mishap. Now, the stage separation ring, a novel addition to the Starship design, was implemented after the inaugural test flight encountered a critical failure during the separation of the first and second stages, culminating in an in-flight explosion. Now, this incident underscored the importance of continuous enhancements in the rocket's design to ensure the success of future missions. Now, despite the anticipation that followed the second Starship test flight, updates on testing activities at Boca Chica Starbase have been sparse in 2024. However, it is now confirmed that SpaceX planned to conduct in-space propellant transfer tests later this year, in addition to a third and subsequent test flight. Now, the succession of the test flight forms the core strategy of Starship's program, allowing SpaceX to gather valuable data to refine and improve its rockets for forthcoming missions. This iterative testing process is crucial for the advancement of the program. Now, a resurgence of activity around a resurgence of activity around the Starship project has been noted with Elon Musk providing a new timeline for the third test flight. Initially stated for February, the flight was postponed due to the FAA's disclosure that SpaceX had yet to submit certain documents from the second test flight, indicating a potential delay. Now, Musk responded to an inquiry from rapper Yeezy, indicated that the next test flight is scheduled to occur in about three weeks, confirming that February will not see the Starship's third flight attempt. This timeline suggests a launch in March, nearly a year after the program's first test flight. Now, the installation of a new water dilute system on the launch pad, of course, following the initial test flight, significantly impacted the testing schedule, resulting in only two flights in 2023. And despite this, SpaceX's commitment to a hardware-rich program remains unwavering. Speculation about the construction of an additional launch site at SpaceX's Texas facilities suggests that future Starship launches could occur more frequently, contingent upon FAA approval. Now, the current regulatory framework allows only one test per authorization, underscoring the FAA's cautious approach to certifying the world's largest rocket for flight. Now, Elon Musk's recent statement on social media platform X, where he advised waiting for additional tests before boarding, highlights the imminent nature of the third test flight. This interaction with Yeezy reflects the long-standing rapport between the two public figures and underscores the broader interest in SpaceX's endeavors. Now, Starship, which is designed to transport humans and cargo to the moon, Mars, and beyond, comprises a super-heavy first stage and a 165-foot-tall upper-stage spacecraft, both powered by SpaceX's Raptor engines. The vehicle's design emphasizes full and rapid reusability, which is a cornerstone of SpaceX's vision for the future of space exploration. Now, to date, Starship has completed two test flights, with the first ending in a controlled detonation due to multiple issues, including the failure of stage separation, and the second flight demonstrated improved performance, 
though it ultimately resulted in the destruction of both stages. Now, preparation for the third flight has been ongoing, with recent activities including the rollout and assembly of both Starship stages at the orbital launch mount. However, the FAA's ongoing investigation into the previous launches events leaves the timing of the next license uncertain. Musk has hinted at future iterations of Starship, suggesting that the rocket will grow in size by 10 to 15 meters in its third version. This evolution reflects SpaceX's ambition to continually enhance the rocket's capabilities. Recent progress on the third flight's readiness includes the full assembly of Booster 10 and Ship 28 on the launch pad, with upcoming road closures indicating a potential wet dress rehearsal for these components in the coming days. Now, this step is crucial for validating the rocket's readiness for flight. And the assembly process for Booster 10 and Ship 28 was completed within 56 hours, and that shows that SpaceX has an ability to maintain a rapid pace in operations, which is a critical factor for increasing the flight cadence of Starship for future launches to the moon and to Mars. Now, modifications to the liquid oxygen relox tank in Booster 10, including the addition of slosh baffles, demonstrate SpaceX's responsive approach to addressing issues encountered in previous flights, such as the Booster 9 failure. And these wet dress rehearsals, both partial and full, will test the rocket and its support systems, including significant changes to the tank farm. These rehearsals are essential for ensuring the rocket systems function as intended for streamlining the propellant loaded process. Now, despite a temporary destacking of Ship 28 from Booster 10 to address potential clamp issues, the rapid restacking indicates SpaceX's efficiency in resolving technical challenges. And this readiness sets the stage for the WDR test campaign and moves the Starship program closer to its next major milestone, IFT-3. The United States has acquired new intelligence concerning Russia's development of a nuclear anti-satellite system intended for deployment in outer space. Now, this information has been shared with Congress and key international allies, sparking discussions about its political public discourse due to the gravity of these findings. Now, despite the serious nature of this intelligence, it's reported that the system does not currently pose a direct threat to U.S. interests as it remains in the developmental phase and has not been deployed in orbit. Now, detailed briefings were provided to senior members of Congress who, despite acknowledging the seriousness of the intelligence, emphasize that there is no immediate danger to the United States. This sentiment was echoed by three U.S. officials who are privy to the intelligence noting that this system's development is ongoing and its operational status has yet to be achieved. Now, the exact process of the technology remains uncertain, with one official highlighting that the threat does not encompass a weapon intended for human targets. And the nature of the system, whether it's a powered by nuclear energy or armed with nuclear capabilities, remains unspecified within the intelligence. This ambiguity adds a layer of complexity to the situation with implications for both international security and also space policy. Now, the potential for a nuclear anti-satellite capability introduces significant concerns regarding the militarization of space and the risks associated with such developments. Now, the possibility of Russia deploying an anti-satellite weapon in orbit raises significant concerns for U.S. national security, particularly for the integrity of nuclear command and control satellites. Hans Christensen, a leading expert in nuclear information, stress the critical role these satellites play in maintaining seamless oversight of the U.S. nuclear arsenal. The introduction of an anti-satellite system in orbit, he argues, would represent a substantial escalation in the threat landscape, 
potentially undermining the stability of nuclear deterrence mechanisms. Advancement in space-based nuclear capabilities was first brought to public attention by ABC News. This revelation came amid broader discussions on national security and also the militarization of space, highlighting the ongoing concerns regarding the weaponization of the final frontier and its implications for global security dynamics. Now, the disclosure of this intelligence initiated a flurry of activity in Washington, with Representative Mike Turner, chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, announcing the existence of a serious national security threat. This announcement prompted immediate and widespread attention, leading numerous lawmakers to seek detailed briefings on the matter, reflecting the gravity of the situation and its implications for U.S. and allied security interests. Now, despite the urgency signaled by Turner's announcement, some lawmakers expressed skepticism about the immediate necessity of such an alert. A Democratic member with extensive national security experience questioned the precedent of such a rabid mobilization of congressional attention, suggesting that the intelligence, while significant, may not have warranted such an immediate and public response. Now, efforts to mitigate the ensuing concern were evident, with House Speaker Representative Mike Johnson assuring the public and lawmakers that the situation was under control, it did not necessitate alarm. This response aimed to temper the initial reaction and emphasize the ongoing efforts to address the intelligence findings within the appropriate governmental and military channels. Now, the intelligence briefing significance was affirmed by Representative Jim Himes, the top Democrat on the Intelligence Committee, who described the information as important, but not a cause for panic. The statement sought to balance the acknowledgement of the intelligence's seriousness with a call for measured and informed response, avoiding unnecessary escalation or alarm. Now, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan expressed surprise at the public disclosure of the intelligence, noting that a briefing for key congressional leaders had already been scheduled. And Sullivan's remarks underscored the delicate balance between transparency and operational security, especially concerning sensitive intelligence that could have broad strategic implications. And in response to the unfolding situation, Representative Turner called for the declassification of the intelligence to facilitate a broader discussion on the appropriate countermeasures and responses. This call for transparency reflects the tension between the need for public accountability and the imperative to protect sensitive sources and methods integral to national security. The Senate Intelligent Committee's leadership acknowledged the intelligence's significance while highlighting the challenges associated with declassifying such information. This statement reflects the ongoing debate over transparency and also security, and it shows that there's complexities of handling intelligence that pertains to emerging military capabilities and also threats. And the context of the intelligence disclosure is further complicated by the political dynamics surrounding U.S. support for Ukraine amidst its conflict with Russia. The debate over a substantial aid package for Ukraine intersects with broader geopolitical tensions, influencing the discourse on national security and the strategic calculus of U.S. foreign policy. Representative Turner's advocacy for continued support for Ukraine contrasts with a broader partisan debate over foreign aid and military assistance, illustrating the intricate connections between domestic politics, international relations, and national security considerations. The pursuit of anti-satellite capabilities by Russia is documented in various defense analyses, represents a continued effort to challenge U.S. and allied space assets. The strategy encompasses a range of potential tactics, from electronic jamming to kinetic destruction, and it shows that this is a multifaceted nature of modern military competition in outer space. 
the development of a nuclear-armed or nuclear-powered anti-satellite system by Russia would contravene international agreements such as the Outer Space Treaty of 1967, which prohibits the deployment of weapons of mass destruction in space. Such a move would have profound implications for international law, space governance, and global security, underscoring the importance of adherence to established norms and also treaties. Now, the U.S.'s response to this intelligence, as articulated by the National Security Council spokesman John Kirby, shows that the non-apparational status of the Russian capability and seeks to reassure both domestic and international audience of the absence of an immediate threat. Now, Kirby's statements also address the broader implications of Russia's actions for space security and the necessity of diplomatic engagement to address the challenges posed by the militarization of space. SpaceX is expanding its reach down at Starbase, Texas. And I'm not talking about rockets. I'm talking about something completely different. Talking about a shopping complex and a restaurant near Starbase. It's named Rio West, and the project entails a $15 million investment, according to the Texas Department of Licensing and Regulation filing. It's a significant shift for Starbase and for SpaceX, as they're getting into retail, commercial infrastructure, and developments that are adjacent to Starbase. Now, these figures are from the TDLR, the Texas Department of Licensing and Regulation, and they're shifting away from rockets a little bit and getting into infrastructure of commercial developments that are adjacent to the spaceport. Now, the breakdown of costs for the new development reveals that the restaurant is projected to cost approximately $6.14 million, while the shopping center is estimated at $8.96 million. Now, the restaurant, which is going to be amazing, it boasts a scenic view of the Rio Grande. It's planned to cover 7,680 square feet. The design includes a 3,500 square foot area for indoor dining, a substantial 2,500 square foot space for kitchen and back of house operations, and a 930 square foot outdoor deck for guests to enjoy the panoramic views of Texas. Now, according to the filing, the purpose of the Rio West is to cater to the local community and stimulate neighborhood development. This aligns with SpaceX's broader vision of creating a whole ecosystem around Starbase that benefits the surrounding community and the area. Now, the accompanying shopping center is set to feature a diverse mix of retail outlets, including a grocery store and a cafe across an 11,200 square foot space. Now, the plans also highlight additional enhancements, such as landscaped areas and a parking lot designated for staff equipped with seven parking stalls. Now, the construction timelines for these projects are quite specific, with an expected commencement date of March 15th and a completion target by the end of December. Now, this ambitious schedule indicates that SpaceX is committed to rapidly developing the Rio West complex for future space flights from Starbase. Now, WRNS Studio, which is a California-based design firm, has been selected to lead the architectural efforts for both the restaurant and the shopping center. The firm is distinguished by its headquarters location and its recognition by the International Living Futures Institute, having been awarded a huge award. It's called the Just Label for its commitment to various equity indicators. The development of Rio West comes at a time when SpaceX's activities at Starbase are already having a notable impact on local businesses in the Rio Grande Valley. Establishments in South Padre Island, Port Isabel, and also Brownsville have experienced increased patronage due to space tourism, despite its inherent unpredictability. Uh, basically, if a launch is scheduled for, let's say, a Monday, you may be there until Friday because the launch might slip a little bit, or you might be there 
couple of weeks, depending on what happens with the hardware. Now, one, for instance, is the Grapevine Cafe in South Padre Island. And they see unusual surges in customers during SpaceX's Starship launch events. Now, the cafe typically quieter during the fall and winter months. I've been there and it is very quiet. There's a few people in there. But now during these launches, it's filled to capacity, which illustrates the draw of Starbase and also these space launches. Thousands of people will flood the area to see this gigantic rocket fly. Now, the influx of space enthusiasts to the area, drawn by the spectacle of SpaceX launches, has also provided a welcome economic boost. Local businesses report a significant uptick in revenue, attributed directly to the events at Starbase, which has become a key attraction to the area. It's a tourism area now. And beyond the immediate economic benefits, the presence of SpaceX in the region is fostering a greater interest in space and technology among the local population. Educational and professional aspirations in fields related to aerospace are becoming more prevalent, suggesting a long-term positive effect on the community's development. Now, despite these advancements, though, Cameron County, where Starbase is located, still faces challenges with a significant portion of its population living below the poverty line. SpaceX's contributions to the local economy are sustainable, but have yet to fully address the broader socioeconomic issues. The economic impact of SpaceX extends beyond direct employment and local spending, though. The company's investment in the area, particularly the Starbase area, amounts to billions of dollars, underscoring its role as a major economic driver for the region. The influence of SpaceX and its activities is also evident in traditional sectors such as fishing in nearby Port Isabel. Local businesses, including bait and tackle shops, have seen changes in customer demographics and sales patterns due to Starbase. Now, the integration of SpaceX's launch activities, however, with the local environment and traditional industries has raised concerns. The environmental and ecological impacts of frequent launches are still being assessed, with potential implications for the area's wildlife and fisheries. Now, also, something interesting, the anticipation and aftermath of SpaceX launches have become community events in themselves, affecting not just businesses, but also local culture and daily life in Brownsville and the Rio Grande Valley. Residents and visitors alike are drawn to the spectacle, blending traditional pastimes like fishing with the excitement of space exploration. And also, a lot of people go to gather the remnants of a launch, the things that fell off a starship or things that were blown up during the launch, such as during the IFT-1 launch, there were concrete scraps. You could find them on eBay. People were selling them for absurd amounts of money. Now in Brownsville, though, the influence of SpaceX has even permeated the local craft brewing scene, with establishments like Pluton Brewing Company experiencing increased patronage during launch events. The brewery's name and theme, while not directly related to SpaceX, resonates with the space-fueled enthusiasm pervading the community of spaceflight enjoyers. Now, SpaceX's foray into commercial development with the Rio West project is part of a broader trend for the company's deepening impact on the Rio Grande Valley. Through initiatives like Rio West and its ongoing spaceport operations, SpaceX is not only advancing space flight ambitions, but also contributing to the economic and the cultural fabric of Brownsville and South Padre Island and also near Starbase. Hey, thank you so much for listening today. I really do appreciate your support. If you could take a second and hit the subscribe or the follow button on whatever podcast platform that you're listening on right now, I'd greatly appreciate it. It helps out the show tremendously and you'll never miss an episode. OpenAI recently unveiled a new AI technology named Sora. 
designed to create text-to-photorealistic videos, marking a significant advancement in generative AI capabilities. Now, this technology can simulate various scenarios from serene landscapes to dynamic urban scenes, demonstrating a sophisticated understanding of three-dimensional environments. Now, Sora operates as a world simulator, indicating its ability to not only generate visually compelling scenes, but also to understand and replicate the complexities of the physical world. This development suggests potential applications far beyond simple video generation, including simulations for education, design, and entertainment purposes. Now, the foundation of Sora lies in the Diffusion Transformer model, a type of AI previously used for generating high-resolution images. And this model learns by introducing and then removing noise from images, a process that has been adapted to work with video content in Sora's development. Now, to enhance Sora's capabilities, OpenAI trained the model using a vast array of captioned videos. This training approach has enabled Sora to establish connections between textual inputs and corresponding video outputs, allowing it to generate new video content or modify existing footage based on textual prompts. Now, among Sora's notable features is its ability to produce footage with dynamic camera movements, including panning, tracking, and zooming. And these movements demonstrate the model's intricate understanding of three-dimensional space and its ability to simulate realistic camera operations. And despite its impressive capabilities, Sora is not without limitations, though. One significant challenge is the model's incomplete grasp of cause and effect, evident in scenarios where actions do not result in expected physical changes, such as a cookie not showing a bite mark after being eaten. And OpenAI has acknowledged these limitations and is proceeding cautiously with the development of Sora. Now, the company is engaging with the red teamers to identify and mitigate potential risks and harms associated with the technology's misuse. And the potential for Sora to be used in creating disinformation is a huge concern that OpenAI and experts in the field are actively addressing. The technology's ability to generate convincing video content could make it challenging to discern real from AI-generated media, raising ethical and societal questions. OpenAI's approach to managing Sora's rollout shows that it's cautious and there's a responsible stance towards the development and application of advanced AI technologies. Now, by collaborating with external researchers and academics, OpenAI aims to explore the technology's potential while safeguarding against misuse. The development of Sora is part of a broader trend in AI research focused on generative models capable of creating realistic text, images, sounds, and now videos. And these models learn from vast data sets, analyzing patterns and structures to produce new content that mimics the real world. Now, OpenAI's decision to watermark videos generated by Sora is an attempt to ensure transparency and mitigate the risks of misinformation. However, the effectiveness of such measures is contingent upon the ability to detect and prevent the removal of these watermarks. The technology's reliance on extensive video data sets for training raises questions about copyright and data usage. OpenAI has been reticent about the specifics of its data sources, likely due to competitive concerns and legal challenges related to copyright infringement. And the name Sora, inspired by the Japanese word for sky, symbolizes the vast creative potential that OpenAI envisions for this tech. The choice reflects the company's aspirations for Sora to serve as a limitless platform for innovation and creativity. Now, Sora's emergence of a sophisticated video generation tool 
exemplifies the rapid progress in AI capabilities. This advancement has implications for various industries, including entertainment, education, and content creation, potentially transforming traditional practices and workflows. Now, the interest in Sora and similar technologies among tech giants and startups shows the competitive landscape of AI research and development right now. Companies are in a race to refine and commercialize these technologies with potential impacts on multiple sectors of the economy. The ethical and societal implications of AI technology like Sora is a subject of ongoing debate among researchers, policymakers, and also industry leaders. And the balance between harnessing the benefits of AI and safeguarding against its risks is a central challenge in the field. Now, as AI technologies continue to evolve, the need for robust regulatory frameworks and ethical guidelines becomes increasingly apparent. These measures are essential to ensure the advancements like Sora contribute positively to society while minimizing potential harms. Now, Sora represents a huge leap forward in AI-driven video generation, offering just a little glimpse into future possibilities for digital media creation. And while its capabilities are quite impressive right now, the careful management of its deployment and the consideration of ethical implications are crucial to harnessing its potential responsibility. So Reddit has entered into an agreement with an undisclosed artificial intelligence firm to utilize its vast repository of user-generated content for AI model training, coinciding with its preparation for an imminent initial public offering or an IPO. This strategic move, valued at approximately $60 million annually, is poised to augment the social media giant's revenue streams and potentially enhance its market valuation as it approaches the public market. Now, the transaction disclosed to potential investors in anticipation of Reddit's IPO might establish a precedent for future collaborations between Reddit and other AI enterprises. Such partnerships are increasingly becoming vital as tech companies seek legitimate avenues for acquiring data to train sophisticated AI models, marking a shift from previous practices where data was often used without formal agreements. Now, Reddit's decision to monetize its content through licensing agreements with AI companies shows a broader trend in the tech industry, though. Notably, OpenAI has entered into similar arrangements, securing assessment to content from major publishers like Axel Springer and the Associated Press to improve the accuracy and relevance of its AI outputs. Now, Steve Huffman, Reddit's CEO, has previously articulated plans to capitalize on the platform's extensive content archives, dating back nearly two decades, and by offering access to AI firms. Now, this strategy not only opens new revenue channels, but also leverages Reddit's unique position as a repository of diverse human-generated content. The significance of such deals extends beyond immediate financial gains. They represent a critical pivot in how AI models are trained, ensuring that the data used is sourced responsibly and with proper authorization. This approach mitigates legal risks and sets a new standard for the ethical development of AI technologies. Now, financially, Reddit has demonstrated robust growth, with revenues surpassing $800 million in the preceding year, marking a 20% increase from 2022. This upward trajectory underscores the platform's strong business fundamentals and its appeal to potential investors. The AI licensing deal could be a key factor in enhancing Reddit's attractiveness to investors, especially those keen on the burgeoning AI sector. And with the AI potentially valuing the company at $5 billion, the agreement could play a pivotal role in achieving a successful market debut. The evolving landscape of AI training necessitates vast amounts of data, though. 
prompting companies to forge partnerships with content providers. These alliances not only provide AI firms with the necessary data to refine their models, but also offer content creators new monetization opportunities. Reddit's willingness to engage in such deals highlights its proactive stance in navigating the complex interplay between content ownership and AI development. And by setting terms that respect copyright and data usage, Reddit positions itself as a forward-thinking player in the dynamic field. Now the negotiations and eventual sealing of this deal signal a maturing understanding within the tech industry of the value inherent in user-generated content. And as AI technologies continue to advance, the demand for diverse and authentic data sets is expected to rise, further emphasizing the importance of such agreements. Now the anonymity and the anonymity of the AI company involved in the deal with Reddit adds an element of speculation about potential collaborations and their implications for the AI and social media sectors. It also reflects the competitive and other times confidential nature of business dealings in the tech industry. Now, Reddit's history of leveraging its platform for AI research and development, even prior to formal licensing agreements, highlights the intrinsic value of its content for training sophisticated AI models. They have billions of lines of data to sort through, and this background sets the stage for the current deal and future partnerships. Now, the strategic timing of this licensing agreement ahead of Reddit's anticipated IPO illustrates the company's multifaceted approach to growth. And by aligning its interests with the AI industry, Reddit not only diversifies its revenue streams, but also enhances its proposition to investors. The involvement of leading financial institutions in preparing for Reddit's IPO, such as Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs, indicates the high stakes and significant interest in the company's market entry. These partnerships underscore the critical role of strategic financial planning and expert guidance in navigating the complexities of going public. Now, Reddit's journey towards monetization of its platform through AI licensing reflects a broader shift in the digital economy towards recognizing and compensating the value of content. As the digital and AI landscapes continue to intersect, such collaborations will likely become more commonplace, reshaping the economics of content creation and distribution. The potential impact of Reddit's AI licensing agreement on its upcoming IPO cannot be overstated, though. By tapping into the growth demand for AI-ready data, Reddit not only stands to enhance its financial performance, but also positions itself as a key player in social media and AI. Now, with the AI deal still subject to finalization and the IPO details evolving, the coming months will be critical for Reddit. The outcomes of these initiatives will not only influence Reddit's market, but also offer insights into the evolving dynamics of the tech industry, particularly in relation to AI and data licensing. Starship testing is advancing at Starbase, and now SpaceX is eyeing a possible third test flight in March, pending successful pre-flight tests and also engineer approvals. Now, recent activities, including the delivery of crucial components for the rocket's flight termination system, or the FTS, signal this process. Now, the FTS is essential for safely aborting the flight if anomalies occur. Now, the installation of the FTS, which is a standard safety feature for large rockets, involves placing explosives on the rocket to enable its destruction mid-air if necessary. Now, these systems are installed closer to the launch date due to their limited lifespan. Now, the movement of the second stage Starship to the test pad in Boca Chica hints at the preparation for this upcoming test flight. Now, the test pad, known for conducting static fire tests, might soon witness such a test of the Starship's second stage. Now, there might be another static fire, and static fire tests are critical for assessing the rocket's readiness for launch. Now, the Super Heavy Booster, which is the bottom part of the Starship, 
has been moved back into the high bay. It utilizes 33 Raptor engines, which are designed for atmosphere conditions. The second stage, the Starship, is equipped with engines optimized for the vacuum of space. Now, a new launch site for Starship is being considered to support Elon Musk's ambition to increase the launch frequency of the Mars-bound rocket. The proposed site at Cape Canaveral, Florida, is part of SpaceX's plans to establish a global network of launch pads for interplanetary travel and eventually people living on Mars. Now, Starship, which is about 120 meters tall when fully assembled, is the largest rocket ever built, capable of delivering about 100,000 kilograms to low Earth orbit. Its development and launches are currently based at Starbase facility in Boca Chica, Texas. But the proposal for the new launch site at Cape Canaveral involves taking over SLC-37 launch pad, which is a site with historic significance from the 1960s used for the Saturn 1 and 1B rockets. SpaceX plans to adapt this site for Starship super heavy launching and landing operation. Now, additionally, plans are underway for another Starship launch pad at the Starbase facility. And Elon Musk confirmed the development of a new launch tower equipped with robot chopsticks aimed at catching the booster rocket post-launch, highlighting the importance of having multiple launch towers for continuous operations in Texas and in Florida. Now, in 2021, now all the way back in 2021, Elon Musk announced plans to repurpose diffused oil rigs into Starship launch platforms, naming them after Mars, Moons, Deimos, and Phobos. They've since decommissioned these platforms, and now they're focusing on land-based launches. Now, the upcoming third major Starship launch is planned to be an uncrewed flight from Texas to Hawaii, completing a 90-minute journey around the Earth. This follows two previous attempts that ended unsuccessfully shortly after takeoff, with no confirmation date yet for the third attempt. Now, also, let's step back a little bit to the FTS. It's a critical component installed on both the booster and the spacecraft. Now, during IFT-1, they use the FTS, the Flight Termination System, to blow up the booster and also the ship. And this is due to the stages not separating and power loss on the engine. And then it led to the destruction of the rocket. Now, the second test flight saw improvements, though, with successful detonation of the first stage's FTS after separation. It was during the kickback burn, and the second stage's FTS also functioned as intended during its coast phase, although SpaceX has been reserved about the details of that part of the test. Just recently, heavy-duty explosives for the FTS have been sent to Starbase. These deliveries indicate the ongoing operations for the next test flight, and it shows that they will be launching somewhat soon. The ongoing preparations for the Starship's third test flight, including the installation of the FTS, static fire tests, stacking, unstacking, moving the booster back to the bay, and also moving the ship off to the pad. It's a critical step. All these are critical steps towards the next launch, IFT-3 of Starship. It's part of SpaceX's broader efforts to advance human civilization to become a multi-planet species. SpaceX is setting its sights on a robust launch schedule for the Starship rocket in 2024, aiming for at least nine missions, as stated by a Federal Aviation Administration FAA official in the Starship, which is immense has power and size, which we haven't seen before in a rocket, and it's central for SpaceX's aspirations of taking people to Mars. Now, despite the goals, SpaceX acknowledges the challenges ahead in making the Starship Mars ready. The company is under significant pressure 
to advance its test flight program to meet its targets for the year. And Kevin Coleman, the FAA Commercial Space Transportation Administrator, highlighted SpaceX's intention launch agenda for 2024. He said that the workload involved preparing in these numerous launches said that there's continuous dialogue between SpaceX and the FAA to facilitate this brand new and aggressive schedule for this monstrous rocket. Now, the FAA previously mandated a cap of Starship launches, about five attempts annually, following an in-depth environmental assessment. This restriction is something SpaceX is keen to modify to accommodate its expanding launch itinerary. And if they need to go to the moon, they need to launch hundreds of these rockets to make sure that everything works perfectly. Now, SpaceX's inaugural integrated flight test for the Starship occurred in April of 2023, marking a moment in history that the rocket's eventual failure happened during the first stage separation. Now, the event underscored the risks and the complexities of the Starship program, and then they did a follow-up test, IFT-2, conducted in November. So they only did two tests that year, but this laid the groundwork for future launches. SpaceX is now gearing up for the third test flight, anticipated around mid-March-ish, which could set the pace for monthly launches until the year's end. And the Department of Defense is exploring a potential new launch site for Starship in Florida, too. And this would be of strategic importance for the rocket and also for the DoD. This move involves an extensive environmental impact study to assess the feasibility of such launches from the space coast of Florida. And as SpaceX prepares for its first Starship launch of 2024 from the Starbase facility in South Texas, regulatory hurdles remain a significant focus. The FAA is actively working with SpaceX to streamline the licensing process for new Starship launches going forward. Now, the environmental ramifications of Starship launches have come under scrutiny, and especially after the first launch in April 2023, which caused considerable damage to the launch site and caught a few things on fire and raised environmental concerns. And these incidents highlight the challenges of balancing SpaceX's Starship program, but also their own environmental stewardship. Now, the second Starship launch proved more successful, though, with a super heavy first stage booster performing very well. However, the upper stage encountered issues, leading to its loss, though without ground damage, reflecting iterative improvements in SpaceX's launch protocol. Now, mind you, the first stage did blow up as well. So it was better than the first trip, but the second one was better. Now, SpaceX's founder, Elon Musk, has indicated a target window in early to mid-March for the third Starship launch attempt, and this launch is viewed as having a reasonable chance of reaching orbit. The FAA's Commercial Space Transportation Division has grown significantly in response to the increasing number of U.S. launches and the emergence of new spaceflight companies. This expansion is part of a broader effort to enhance the FAA's regulatory capacity in the rapidly growing space industry and the private space industry. Now, the Space Force and the Air Force, alongside other federal agencies, is conducting an Environmental Impact Statement, EIS, for potential Starship launches from Florida, like we discussed before. Now, this is a very stringent level of environmental review. There's high stakes here. And we know that if SpaceX passes the environmental review, we're going to see a few launch towers happen as soon as possible from this launch site because the Department of Defense is involved. Now, SpaceX has conducted two notable launches from Starship facility in 2023 at Starbase, with both missions ending in explosions shortly after takeoff. The potential for Starship to support NASA's missions and the Department of Defense's interest in its capabilities 
shows that Starship is very important. It's a strategic rocket. It's not just a rocket that will get people to the moon and Mars. It'll be a rocket that sends cargo to orbit for the Department of Defense, numerous armed forces as well. And the ongoing EIS process is exploring various options for accommodating Starship launches from Florida going forward. Hopefully that can be done within the next six months, but we're expecting it to be eight months to 12 months before this all happens. And the EIS is just another set of red tape that SpaceX has to go through in order to launch from the Space Coast. It's not the primary mission. So this is a secondary mission that SpaceX would do. Now, public meetings are scheduled to discuss the environmental impact of potential new Starship launch sites. And this is great for community engagement and transparency for Starship, SpaceX, and the Department of Defense and the state of Florida. Now, Starship, with its giant capabilities, is poised to revolutionize space travel. With plans to replace the Falcon rocket family eventually and support missions like Mars colonization for Starlink and more satellite operations. Its payload capacity makes it a key asset for both commercial space activities and defense applications. And the drive to overcome regulatory and environmental hurdles, um, it's a huge challenge for SpaceX. They've had to do it at Starbase a few times now, and they've always come up the winner. Now, stakeholders, including military officials, emphasize the need for national support and investment to realize the potential of transformative space technologies like Starship on the space coast of Florida. The moon has welcomed a new visitor from the United States, marking the country's first lunar landing in over 50 years. The lander named Odysseus was confirmed to be operational and communicating with Earth, though its precise location and condition were still under assessment. Now, Houston-based Intuitive Machines, the creator of Odysseus, has been actively exchanging commands with the spacecraft to gather scientific data, and the company acknowledged ongoing efforts to ascertain the lander's exact whereabouts, health, and orientation on the lunar surface. Intuitive Machines aim for a landing near the lunar south pole, specifically close to the uh, Malapert A crater, to aid NASA in exploring the region in preparation for future astronaut missions. The strategic location is of great interest due to its proximity to potential resources. And this achievement not only marks Intuitive Machines as the first private entity to successfully land on the moon, but also adds them to the exclusive list of entities, including only five countries that have accomplished this feat. The mission is primarily supported by NASA, with a space agency having invested $118 million in the project. Now, a notable aspect of the mission was the use of a NASA experiment to guide the lander during its final approach due to a failure in its navigation system. This adjustment allowed Odysseus to safely complete its journey to the moon's surface. Now, the mission faced challenges, though, such as the inability to deploy a camera system intended to capture the landing due to the navigational adjustments. However, efforts are underway to release this camera in the hopes of obtaining images of Odysseus on the moon. Now, the uncertainty surrounding the lander's precise landing spot adds a layer of complexity to the mission, emphasizing the importance of securing the images to verify its location and condition. And the operational lifespan of the Odysseus lander is expected to be brief, limited to about a week due to the impending lunar night, which poses significant challenges for solar-powered missions. Now, this mission follows a failed attempt by another company, Astrobotic Technologies, uh, which highlights the apparent risks and the difficulties of lunar exploration. The landing by intuitive machines, though, represents a significant achievement 
in commercial space exploration. Now, this is a historically significant mission, as it reestablishes the United States' presence on the lunar surface after the last human Apollo mission in 1972, setting the stage for NASA's planned Artemis missions. Coming up, Artemis II, where they will circle around the moon and come back to the Earth, and Artemis III, when they will land on the lunar surface. Now, the choice of naming the lander Odysseus draws a parallel with the epic journeys and challenges faced by the mythological figure, symbolizing the ambitious natures of this lunar mission. Now, the reliance on NASA's navigation Doppler LIDAR instrument, not originally intended as a primary navigation tool, shows the adaptability and resourcefulness required in space missions. Sometimes they have to go off script and do wild things in order to make the mission successful. And the confirmation of a successful landing and the subsequent transmission of data from Odysseus to Earth marked a pivotal moment for intuitive machines showcasing the capabilities of commercial space ventures. And despite initial communication challenges, the team remains focused on downloading scientific data and images from the lander, with further updates anticipated in the next few days. Now, this is a huge milestone for both Intuitive Machines, NASA, and the United States, as it demonstrates the viability of commercial partnerships in advancing lunar exploration and prepares the groundwork for future human-rated landers on the lunar surface. Now, the term dynamic situation aptly describes the last-minute adjustments and challenges faced during the landing. This is an unpredictable way to land a lunar lander, but this is also unpredictable nature of space exploration. Now, the context of this mission includes the ongoing international interest in the moon, with several companies having conducted lunar missions in the recent years. This renewed focus shows that the moon is more strategic and important than ever. SpaceX plans to have two orbital towers down at Starbase in Texas for the launches of their Starship vehicle. Super heavy vehicle, about 400 feet tall. The most powerful rocket in existence right now. Now, right now, SpaceX can launch Starships about five times per year, but they don't really want to do that. They want to have a lot more launches than five per year because they need to test the rocket for the upcoming Artemis missions and also for Starlink missions in the future and also some other cargo missions to the moon and beyond. So what do they do? Let's take a look real quick at this. Uh, this is from Ars Technica. This is Eric Berger. Eric is awesome. Uh, SpaceX seeks a waiver to launch Starship at least nine times this year. Uh, last year, they did. Uh, we're at two right now, two Starship launches altogether. So if they could squeak out nine launches, uh, it's been it's months between every single launch between IFT one, IFT two, and now IFT three. It's been a few months, but if they could do three, uh, you know, uh, three within this time frame, like right now, IFT one, IFT two, and if IFT three could be in March of this year, uh, they'd have April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December. So they'd have that many months. Could they get that many launches? in that many months one launch per month about um i don't know that's a that's a pretty risky bet to take nine launches in about as many months could they do a turnaround of one launch per month could they build enough boosters fast enough could they have enough raptor engines for one launch per month do they have enough ships for one launch per month at this point they don't have as many built as there are months left in the year so 
Um, there's a possibility that they can get this done. They're going to have to ramp up production, ramp up launches, but I believe they could do this. So let's get into a little bit of the minutia here. Um, SpaceX nears its uh, first Starship launch in 2024, possibly as soon as within three weeks. So sometime in March, you know, they're going to be doing this launch from Starbase. During a press uh, availability this week, the Administration of Commercial Space Transportation at the FAA, Kevin Coleman, said the agency is working with the company to try to facilitate the Starship launch licensing process. This is huge if this actually happens. So looking at a pretty aggressive launch schedule this year, he said, they're looking at, I believe, at least nine launches this year. That's a lot of launches. Uh, if you're doing modifications and doing them one by one, that's a lot of work. Could SpaceX be hiring a bunch more people too? Uh, we're going to see in the near future if they're going to be hiring more people. We know there's going to be another orbital pad there too. So they're going to be launching these things and also building a pad possibly. Let's take a look at that in a little bit too. Um, we've been talking to SpaceX constantly around the clock, coming together and trying to figure out how we do this. We're invested with the company. So we'll work with them to get them back going as soon as possible. So basically saying, we're going to get them flying again so they can continue building and fly more rockets in the future. Um, SpaceX decided to launch an attempt to land a Starship vehicle in Texas about five years ago. The company had to undergo an environmental re uh, review of the site. So I want to ask you this question, too, and I want to know what you think down in the comments. Um, so SpaceX is going to launch IFT3 soon. It's going to be sometime in March, probably, according to Elon Musk. And if the FAA is working with them, and it, it seems like they are, could they possibly launch a rocket in March and then another one in April? Are they really, are they that close? Um, I don't think they're going to be able to do a turnaround that quick. So in my opinion, it's going to be late April, more than likely May that they get another rocket off. If this one goes as perfect as it should go, IFT2 or IFT3, if it goes better than IFT2, uh, then it seems like they'll have all the systems in place to get an IFT4, IFT5, et cetera faster than what they've done before. So all the regulatory hurdles that are in place right now could kind of be relaxed a little bit. And then the FAA would work with SpaceX to get nine launches for this year, which would be incredible. So that's my question. Do you think they could pull it off nine months with nine launches? They have about nine months left uh, to get nine launches. And so we'll see, we'll see. But I don't think they're going to be able to do nine launches. I think that's a very optimistic goal for SpaceX. And I'm not trying to be pessimistic here. I'm just saying these things are gigantic. They're hard. Things happen all the time. Like the booster right now was moved back to the high bay so it could get some work done on it before the IFT3 launch. And the uh, the ship is on the suborbital pad right now just hanging out. So maybe there's going to be some work uh, done on the uh, on the booster and on the ship in the near future. So if that needs to happen, the timelines can slip pretty quickly. Now, that being said, uh, suborbital pad B could be becoming orbital pad B. SpaceX has always wanted two, count them two, 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 launch towers at Starbase, Texas. That was their vision from the beginning. Two launch towers so they could do everything they need to do from Starbase. Don't have to worry about Kennedy Space Center for a while. They can do everything from Starbase until they start launching humans on these things or start launching these things from NASA property at Kennedy Space Center, possibly for the first Artemis mission. It seems like a good PR stunt to get them launched from NASA. But if they need to, they can do these uh, launches from Texas because it's already built out. No reason to go to Kennedy Space Center and waste resources there. 
uh, before the launches. Just keep building up Texas and keep getting it to a better place. So this is suborbital pad B um, is now going to be orbital pad B. And that's according to Vixie, Vicky Cox 15 on Twitter or X, if you will. Um, and SpaceX reiterated the permit application on 12 February 2024 with modified project plans requesting to fill a 0.16 acre wetland to construct a second orbital launch pad, which will replace the current suborbital launch pad and test stand. So currently it's just a test stand, right? It's just it's just right here. That's it. There's really not much there, but it could be a orbital launch pad, which would be fantastic because if they're going to refuel Starship, they have to send up uh, possibly anywhere between 10 and 20 tankers for Starship to refuel before it gets to the moon. It needs to refuel them. It's a complex thing. It's a very complex thing. Could SpaceX do it with two pads? Better than one pad. Two pads are better than one. So this is the other question that I want to ask you. Orbital pad A, orbital pad B at Starbase. Do you think they're going to catch the booster? Or do you think they're going to be expendable for the NASA missions? Do you think they're going to have boosters ready to go? They're going to have 10 to 20 boosters ready to go and expend them in the Gulf of Mexico? Or do you think they're going to get the landings nailed before the Artemis program? Because if they don't get the landings nailed, uh, you know, what are they going to do? do they, will they have 15 boosters just ready to go? I don't think that's the case. I think what's going to happen is they're going to be able to catch these things before the um, Artemis program, Artemis 3. So which pad, this is the question, which orbital pad do you think they're going to catch on first? I'm going orbital pad B because there will be modifications, upgrades to it, they need to catch it. So if if they need to catch it at one tower, I think it's going to be orbital pad B because orbital pad A, it's going to be the workhorse. I think they're going to launch from there. That's perfectly fine. They launch from there right now. They're going to also launch from orbital pad B. But if they can launch from orbital pad B, uh, they can land at orbital pad B. Orbital pad A, also they can land at orbital pad B. Maybe they can catch them at both. I want to know your opinion down in the comments below. Let me know what you think where they're going to catch the first booster orbital pad a or orbital pad b so we got a couple questions here today um but that's that's pretty much it i want to show you the the uh the plan here um space exploration technologies uh published february 22nd project plans um you know go into deeper here go a little bit deeper and you can zoom in if we need to 150 percent uh wetland subject to this request so we have tank farm, orbital pad, et cetera here. And then we have um, down here, we have a little zoomed in, a requested additional wetland impact 0.16 acres, this little red, this little red one right here, proposed wetland impact. It's not much. It's really not much, uh, but will they be able to do this? And there's a, a ground shot of a wetland impact uh, update summary. So there's the pad. You can see it there. It's right, right next to it. It's literally like, you can take a couple steps across this, take five or six steps and you're across this whole thing. Um, the Army Corps of Engineers, will they allow this? There might be a little impact, an environmental impact study here, but I think they're going to be okay with it. It's an industrial zone right now, basically. If you look at it, it's an industrial zone in the middle of all sorts of things going on. You know, there's a parking lot, there's 
Um, there's a bunch of concrete, there's pipes, there's tubes, all sorts of stuff going on here. It's wetlands. Of course, we have to protect the wetlands, but also we have to go forward with progress. So what do you think? Uh, what do you think about this too? I, I think orbital pad B will be the catch tower to begin with. Then they're going to take them off orbital pad B, refurbish it, take it back to the high bay. And while that's happening, other rockets are going to come out and then they're going to launch more over and over and over. So that's where we're at right now. It's going to be a wild 2024. If they get this proposal, um, if they want it, if they get this uh, orbital pad B uh, proposal accepted, we might see orbital pad B become a thing, start becoming a thing in the next few months. After IFT3, I think they're going to start moving in hardware if this gets uh, uh, approved really quick. So we're going to see. But see, the other thing is, I want to show you this. Uh, Publish date, expiration date, January, March 2020, or 25 of 2024. January, February, March. So next month, about a month actually from today, we're going to see uh, the expiration date of this. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Hey, thank you so much for listening today. I really do appreciate your support. If you could take a second and hit the subscribe or the follow button on whatever podcast platform that you're listening on right now, I'd greatly appreciate it. It helps out the show tremendously and you'll never miss an episode. And each episode is about 10 minutes or less to get you caught up quickly. And please, if you want to support the show even more, go to patreon.com slash stage zero. And please take care of yourselves and each other. And I'll see you tomorrow.